sifter.com.au. Hello and welcome to Lightmap from Sifter. On Lightmap, we explore what it takes to make video games and interactive media and you meet creative teams from all around the world. My name is Gianni. Thanks so much for joining me. And on every episode of Lightmap, you meet new developers, artists, musicians, researchers, and more. And our guest on this episode is Kelsey Gamble, who's publishing producer at League of Geeks, a studio that's got not one, but two major games in development, Solium Infernum, the hell-based political strategy game, and anime-inspired colony sim Jump Light Odyssey. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Before we jump in and find out about these two really excellent Australian-made games, uh, let's find out what's happening in the news with uh, the latest episode of Walkthrough, Sifter's news podcast. Hi, I'm Fiona Bartholomew. And I'm Kyle Paletto. And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 10th of March. We have the highlights from this week's Xbox Partner Preview. Roguelike deck builder Bellatro pulled from stores due to misunderstanding about its gambling content. A 2.4 million US dollar settlement has killed the two biggest Switch and 3DS emulators. And this year's BAFTA award nominations are here. You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or on our website, sifter.com.au, every Sunday. You're listening to Lightmap, interesting conversations with video game creators. Okay, you've got two games that you're currently working on that are pretty close. They're uh, getting closer and closer every single day. But let's first head to the stars, Kelsey. And um, what is Jump Light Odyssey? Yeah, amazing. So Jump Light Odyssey is what we like to call a colony sim set in the stars. Um, So if you're a fan of FTL, Evil Genius, all those sorts of things, you're going to love the game of Jump Light Odyssey. Uh, The idea is you're the captain of a ship um, that's that's floating through the stars. You are um, leading your crew on an escape to the forever star, which is something that's very important to your people. It's it's the mythical idea of of hope and, and redemption and freedom. I, Princess Euphora, last remaining regent of our people, will lead us to the forever star. You've got to escape the clutches of Admiral Zoltan, who is evil. He is he's trying to get you, and, and it's very clear if, if you've seen the, the reveal trailer that we put out that we've really lent on that 70s anime vibe, um, and that's something that's really inspired the team and it's something that they're really excited to kind of put through into this game. Um, so as I said, you're kind of escaping this this evil gang of people and it's up to you to, to keep hope alive as you're doing that, as, as you're on your quest to the forever star. Um, you've got all sorts of things that you can do on this ship. Obviously, you've got a bunch of crew that you've got to look after. They've all got their own needs. They've got the relationships that, you know, they have with each other. They've got the ability to promote them and get them to be leaders in and of themselves. You know, disasters might happen and you might need to rally them and and keep them okay and and looked after. And then obviously you've got the building element where you're you're building out your ship, you're you're creating protection and you're, you're making resources happen because at the end of the day, the ship can't fly if you don't have the resources to be able to do it. So it's one of these games that when I first joined the League of Geeks, um, they kind of showed me, they they showed me, you know, the pitch deck and the idea of it and the, the rough kind of this is where we want to land with it. And, you know, I, I haven't told them this, but 
it was the game that convinced me to join the team because it is everything that I want. Um, it's funny because some people kind of look at it at a very surface level and they go, Sims in space. Um, and while it's not exactly the Sims in space, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot of different elements to it. Um, it is that vibe. And that's the vibe that I really love. Um, you add the 70s anime inspiration to it and it's just just perfect. Love it. <laughs> How challenging of a colony sim is it? Because there are some really full-on ones that you can have and then there's more casual sort of experience. Where does it sort of land for, for players who, who might be looking at this going, this is not technically the sort of game I would normally be playing, but hey, the anime looks awesome, so... Yeah, that's the thing that I particularly love about it. And I think the team's kind of taken that in mind. Um, there, there's an element where you can have like, I can't remember what we're exactly calling it, but I like to call it hectic mode where, you know, if you really want a challenge and you're really into, you know, optimizing your ship and making sure you can make these runs and these jumps away and you want, you know, the, the distance between your enemies and you to be really short and, and have this really frenetic, you know, challenge, you can choose that. But at the same time, if you just want to vibe in space, you can choose that option as well. So there's three difficulty levels that you'll be able to choose. Um, and for people like me who just enjoy the vibe, it's it's a big sigh of relief because I think that a lot of people, we, we've seen a lot of people want those different gameplay options. Can you tell me, you spoke a little bit about some of those sort of design touchstones there, but talk, take me through one of the, the standard turns or, you know, what a day on the ship looks like as you're traveling between each of these jumps. Yeah, absolutely. So the, it starts and ends with a jump, essentially. So you're traveling through space and you'll be jumping from planet to planet. And the idea is in order to make a jump, you need the resources in order to be able to do it. So you'll you'll jump in, you'll scout around, you'll have away missions that you'll be able to send your crew on. So they'll go out and they'll collect resources for you. Obviously that in and of itself is a dangerous thing. Sometimes they might not come back. You gotta make sure you're, you're being strategic about who you're sending and what you're doing. Um, so they'll go and, and they'll collect the resources that you've sent them out to do. Let's say that they're successful they come back your team will put those resources together you'll be building things that you need you'll be you know charging up your jump light drive and then when you get enough resources you'll be able to kind of have a look on your map and you'll see you know obviously you've got to eventually get towards that forever star but you don't know where it is you're kind of just going through space trying to locate it um and so you'll you'll find another planet and you've got to be really strategic as well about the kinds of planets that you're going to for example you could go somewhere that's quite far away because it'll get you further away from you know the the enemy but you may not necessarily know what resources that place has and you don't want to be caught out in a place that's like completely void of resources. Um, so there's a lot that's involved in it. Um, and all while this is happening, you've obviously got a living, breathing crew that you're keeping alive at the same time. So um, it's really interesting the amount of work the team are doing in creating that jump um, and also making sure that there's enough happening that, you know, is varied and interesting and and every every single kind of jump is going to be different um and that's the idea behind it also being you know a little bit roguelite in nature you know it's not the idea where you kind of make a jump and maybe you're not successful maybe you don't get the resources you need and you you, you get attacked and then that's it it's the idea is that you start again and you'll learn a bit more and you'll go, well, I need to make sure that I'm optimizing these resources. I need to make sure I'm building this corridor in this way. And as a, as a result of that, it really makes for some quite unique gameplay, what we've, we've started to see. 
I'm, I'm just curious, is it the sort of game where you can make decisions and kind of back yourself into a corner? Or is there an idea that, you you know, there is always a way that you can kind of progress, but maybe it's not as fast as you would like? Yeah, so the, the idea behind the game is that, you know, you get, um, you get, you it's every run you do, you learn a little bit more. It's not the idea that, you know, it's it's supposed to be this real punishing thing where you've made the wrong decision and that's it. It's more, oh, no, I got caught this time. Okay, next time I'll make sure that I, I build a corridor the right way. So when they, they board and attack me, you know, I'm going to have better defenses in order to be able to, like, get over this. Um, and I think that that in and of itself is the interesting thing because I, I know a lot of people, particularly when they're playing, you know, these really intense games, there's two ways to do it. And we really wanted to open up that decision space for players. I think that that's one of the core things that that is really important to the team is making sure that however you like to play, if you really like a challenge, that's going to be possible to you. But also if if you don't and if you just want to be able to look after your crew and, you know, look after your little pet, the the pig that's on board, that's fine for you to do so too. So making that, making that gameplay choice and having it be very choice-based is something that is, is not only important, it's one of the biggest challenges, I think. Is there a continuous story through every single run or is it a complete reset at the beginning? Because one of my you know, favourite genres in, or changes in roguelikes now is that there is sort of a continuation. Hades does this, Returnal does it as well, um, you know, where you, know, you come back to the beginning and you don't lose every single thing. Or how, how does it sort of run? Yeah, so there's an element of the gameplay that uh, we haven't really discussed too deeply yet, so I'm going to be really careful about what I say. But um, the, the long and short of, of answering your question is yes. There will be elements of gameplay that um, we feel is really unique um, that you'll be able to kind of go in and, you know, if you if you don't win or if something happens, um, you'll be able to kind of retain that memory going through and the game actually retains that memory as well. Um, it's something that I've seen, you know, all the design documents about and I'm really excited about personally because I think that it, again, adds this element to the roguelite playability that doesn't necessarily, you know, it's, it's not a huge impact. It's not as, you know, it's not like Hades in the sense that that story changes or, or grows, but it is really interesting and it permeates the game. Um, so yeah, I know that was super vague, but <laughs> I think I think we'll be able to share more about that very soon. I think. Well, just have to get you back on the show. I know, I know. This very, is very me soon. just sowing seeds for exactly. future. <laughs> Talk to me about the social aspect of it, because as you said, people have said it looks like Sims in space. Is it Sims in space? Yeah, it's really interesting. The the element of the Sims in space that I think people recognize is that dollhouse like nature. And that's certainly there. That's and it's one of my favorite things. You've got to look after this crew as as if they're your family, like you are their leader. Um, we sometimes call this a leadership sim because of that reason. You've really the the core premise of, of this game is you have to keep hope alive. It's not so much that, you know, you're you've got to keep the ship running. Um, there's no use in having the ship running really efficiently if everyone loses hope and, and that hope bar that sits at the top of the game, that that's empty, that's the fail state of the game. Um, obviously, if you're attacked by people and you're about to die, hope's gone too, but ultimately you, you can still fail the game and you can still you know, get into strife if everything's safe but people are having interpersonal conflict and, and people are not happy with your leadership. So, you know, that's one element that I think is really interesting and, and kind of sets it aside and apart from The Sims. But that 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 sort of like interaction between the two of them, the the two characters that you see, you can zoom in on them and and they have relationships with each other. They fall in love. They flirt. They they get really sad. You know, for example, Blake, the the 
game director um whenever he shows the game to us it's quite cute because he'll be like yeah no and look they're they're in a relationship together and they really love oh wait i've sucked one of them out into space and the other one there's an effect on them suddenly they don't show up to work because they're really sad because their loved one got sucked out into space um so i think that that's a really interesting thing that you're managing as well people's happiness levels people's health you know there's obviously going to be um, a med bay on the ship and you've got to make sure that's well stocked to be able to keep everyone healthy and alive um it's actually one of the first things you do when you load up the game um is is you'll be you know tasked with making sure that everyone's okay because they're obviously taking heavy fire and they're escaping so yeah i think that the similarities in the sense of that dollhouse nature is is definitely there but what i think it has um you know, more is that heart and story, whereas The Sims is much more of a sandbox. And that's not to say that, you know, I love The Sims, I'm a huge fan of it, but I think that the interesting thing about The Sims in space, even though I don't think it's necessarily that, but I think it's interesting because you do have this over overarching story that's happening and you do have an, an overarching goal rather than kind of just doing whatever you want, taking the ladder out of the pool, you know? You can still blow people out the airlock, so I think that's basically the same. Um, what is your strategy when you are playing the game? What do you do uh, in your first sort of runs? Is this particular things that you do you play it safe or you're a risk taker? Yeah, I definitely am a play it safe kind of gal. Um, they definitely use me as the, if, if <clears throat> oh my goodness, I'm getting so excited, I'm losing my voice. But, um, you know, if, if Kelsey is going to be stressed out by this game, we need to modify so that you can just vibe in space, you know? I really enjoy... The greenhouse i really enjoy keeping you know the kitchens well stocked i enjoy i enjoy watching people kind of grow things there the team have really worked on um even little things like the plants as they grow like they, they look different it's very cute um that's something that i really like but then i'm also the kind of evil person that throws throws people out of the airlock um because it's fun you know <laughs> and i think it's betraying um the fact that i'm secretly crazy but yeah <laughs> We're all there. We'll all do it. It's, it's, it gives something for everyone, it sounds like. Um, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit how um, how far along the game is? Uh, when will people get a chance to, to, to play this? Yeah, so we just announced that it is coming to early access this year. Um, we've been intentionally vague with what this year means. But, you know, obviously it's, it's already February. Um, we've only got a few months left uh, in, in terms of this year. Um, I think that in the coming months, we'll, everybody will kind of have a, a really good understanding of when they can get their hands on this game. But yeah, it's certainly at the point where, you know, we've, we've got a game. It's, it's there, we're playing it, we're refining it. There's, there's lots of, um, you know, the interesting thing that I've learned about strategy games in general is there's so many different pieces that come together right at the end. Um, and so we're, we're getting to the point where things are starting to make sense. Um, and it's a really exciting thing to watch because you kind of go from lots of gray boxes, lots of, and you'll be able to do this um, to, oh, okay, I can actually do this. Um, and it's very exciting. Can you tell me from a producer's perspective, um, what's it like having the two different games being uh, produced at the same time? Uh, yeah. what, does that, what does that look like for you in the in the day to day, and how does that all work? Yeah, so as the publishing producer, I'm probably in like the the pointiest part of of working on two games at the same time and needing to make sure that we're um, you know keeping both of them not from like cannibalizing each other, but making sure that both of them get as much time in the light and all that sort of stuff. You know, the interesting thing about having two games in the first place, you know, the idea behind it was to, to de-risk things, um, especially during uh, COVID, um, you know, 
having two smaller projects made a lot more sense when everyone was working from home. Um, a lot of the the games at their core are things that League of Geeks have done previously, um, even though the games visually and, and from the story are very different. Um, there's a lot of tech and there's a lot of like thinking and, and experience in the teams behind both games. Um, so it makes a lot of sense actually. And there's a lot of like cross-skilling that happens between the teams and and they talk to each other but from a publishing producer's standpoint it's like two games at the same time woohoo let's make this happen um there's a there's a lot of um balancing I would say it's the word that I would use (laughs) is it completely split teams or is there any crossover between it other than people like you yeah so in terms of leadership there's obviously crossover but it's it's really interesting because the the founders um you know one has taken Soleim Infernum and has, has jumped in as the game director and one has taken JLo. And then there's one, Trent, who works alongside me and, and we both kind of have a view of all of them. Um, and the way that they've done that is really interesting and I think really smart because having leadership kind of have uh, an overarching view of everything at the same time without getting in the weeds on one of them, I think that that could be a big risk to the projects. Um, but yeah, they, uh, the way that I kind of look at it for them is that, you know, one's their their baby, you know, it's the, it's the one that they care really deeply about. Um, but yeah, in terms of the actual teams that are they're working on the projects, there's maybe one or two people that might have a bit of a, a an overview of both projects and there's certainly like swapping that will happen you know for example if if that one project needs more art for example they they might get a loner from the other team for a little while um but in terms of the the way that the the company structure operates it's pretty split down the middle um and i find that really interesting and cool because what also happens is you've got this whole team of people that don't really have much visibility on the the nuances and the the, the little details of the game. So we're internally playtesting both of the games right now, actually, and it's really easy because you just swap them. And and they've they've kind of seen it. They kind of know the idea. They know what the teams are really struggling with and working on. But they have fresh eyes. So it's this great opportunity for people that have a deep love and and a want for the game to be successful. But they're also you know they're not in the weeds on it. So uh, I think it's working quite well, to be honest. Does this feel like a bit of a different scale for a studio in Australia? Um, League of Geeks was the Armello studio for a long time. That's the the one game they made. Um, and now you've got these two different teams. Um, not, you know, at one of these big multinational levels, but it is a, a higher tier than some of the other studios we see around. Tell me about how that sort of fits in, in your mind uh, in the sort of scheme of Australian game development. Yeah, so we like to call Log a triple I studio, um, which is kind of the idea is that we're still indie at our heart and we always will be. Um, we're never going to be anything bigger. We we love to self-publish though. Um, and we kind of really, one of the, the, the guiding principles of how we work is that aim for that quality bar um, because we have the resources, because we have a way bigger team. Like even when I joined, I was like, Oh my God, there's like heaps of people here. What's going on? Like I thought we were like a small little indie, um, but it's like 52, 53, which is in Australian scheme of things, like a, like a huge team. Um, it helps that it's split in half. Like I said, like having smaller teams um, makes them more agile. Um, but yeah, no, I think that the, the over, the, the overarching principles is something that I personally align with quite deeply and something that I was really looking for um, because I wanted to be able to work at 
you know, that that borderline AAA pace without all the bureaucracy, which is like you'd think it's impossible to find, but luckily I found League of Geeks. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one and, and it sometimes causes some, like, identity crises, I think, because it's like who are we, what are we making, let's make sure that it aligns with our values. But the thing that I really particularly like, you know, even back in our mellow days, the, the thing that it kind of drives League of Geeks is making strategy games with heart um, and making those games accessible to people that aren't necessarily just into strategy games. Um, and I think having a core motivation like that as a, as a studio is something that really helps, especially when you're kind of at the point where you're like, okay, what's next? What do we do? Um, it's, it's been, it's been a good journey. It's been, it's been great. It's your forever star that you travel. Ah, uh, that's perfect. That's poetic. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about Solium Infernum now, which is a game that people would, you know, it, it, it has a cult following, or at least the series does. Um, but it is not one of these games that I think that every single person knows about. It's a, you know, political strategy set in hell. But tell me, what is Solium Infernum and, and what is League of Geeks bringing to this version of Solium Infernum? Yeah, it's it's um, you kind of did a really good job of encapsulating it. We love to say it's the political strategy game set in hell, um, but like going deeper, what does that actually mean? Is it's it's interesting. Um, those that are familiar with the original uh, will know that it's this absolutely gem, uh, but it's like a diamond in the rough situation, right? It it was made uh, back in the day. I think it was like Adobe Game Maker or something like that. It was it was almost inaccessible it was like impenetrable a game but the people that managed to break through love it they talk about it as as the greatest strategy game of all time they're obsessed with it we raised our great capital pandemonium from which his dark majesty ruled till vanished he did from his infernal throne from our strongholds deep we now rage against one another each fixing our plans upon the throne. Here, at last, I shall be free. To reign is worth ambition. Though in this place of darkness made visible, better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. And the thing that I love um, and, and you know, was the first story that I heard when I joined the project is that Armello in the beginning is very heavily inspired by the original Solium Infernum. In fact, Ty, who is the game director and, and founder, one of the founders of League of Geeks, he thought Solium Infernum was one of his favorite games of all time. Um, so much so that he reached out to Vic Davis, the original creator, years and years ago. And they started like a, a pen pal friendship where they would just like exchange notes and ideas. And, and it kind of really started as, as Ty being a, a deep fan and, and having deep respect for Vic Davis. But eventually I think Ty kind of went, so about that game, Solium and Phantom, what are, what are you doing with it? And Vic Davis was like, I'm no longer in games, like nothing, do whatever you want. And, and that's kind of how we acquired the, the license for the game. Um, and I think that if, if anyone can do the original game justice um, and, and kind of reimagine this game, it is the team that are working on it uh, because it's filled with people that were obsessed with the original but are also obsessed with the idea, like I said, of, of bringing heart and bringing accessibility to these games. And so 
the Solium Infernum that we're working on, the, the reimagined version, has the, the soul of the original um, and the idea of, hey, you know, you, you've played games like Civ, you've played games like Total War, you know, where you, you've got to kind of move around and maneuver your troops and you've got to really think about those details. Imagine a game where it's like 10% that and 90% you tricking your enemy and manipulating them and waging war through diplomacy. Talk us through some of the things that you'll be doing in the game. So talk, uh, if we've got a turn, is it turn-based that you're just kind of going through and making, putting your pieces into the thing and seeing what happens? Tell me, how do you play that? What are the choices you could make as you're you know, angling to take over hell? I think one of the really interesting things about this game and one of the things that sets it apart in a lot of ways is the asynchronous multiplayer. Um, so what you do is you, you kind of put in your turn and everyone else puts in their turn as well at the same time. And you don't know what they're going to do. Are they going to march on you? Are they going to buy some some sort of legion from the bazaar that's going to make them more powerful? Are they going to collect an artifact that enables them to kind of scry into your possessions and work out what you have? Um, you know, any of these things could be happening during that turn and you don't know. So you have to kind of like preempt and guess and, and think, oh, what might they do in this situation? submit your turn and then you kind of just wait for everyone to be completed and the next one starts um it really enables it as well you know for me as someone who's a family person um and doesn't have the time to sit there for three hours doing a single campaign it makes you you be able to play these games and the 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 term that the team have coined is this scheme in your sleep idea where you know your turn is over you've submitted it but you're thinking about your next one you're thinking about what they could have been doing and and there's a lot of that that happens between the turns um i remember that being described as play by email back in the day yeah, um, yeah exactly to, uh send off your turns i used to uh, before i had a lot access to a lot of games there was a chess game that i had where i would just send off uh you know chess commands off to my friend and we'd come back and you know be thinking about it all day have i made the right decision think about the next turn as you go um to, you know it, you said it was sort of impenetrable in the past, um, and I'm, I'm curious about some of those uh, changes that are being made to sort of continue the the soul of what you're saying is Solium Infernum, but um, make it a, a modern game that can be uh, you know played in this day and age. I think I think first of all the the play by email, it's just modernizing the concept, right? Um, that asynchronous multiplayer still exists. It's just in a way that you don't have to like package up the file and put it into the email and send it off and wait for someone to send you a file and update it. Like that's insane, the the idea that you have to do that. So um, there's certainly that and the modernization of some of the, the, you know, tactics and things that you can do in the game just from a technological perspective. And then there's just even things like getting raw feedback on your turn like with the original solium infernum it was a lot of text it was very text heavy and you would kind of learn what you were doing and you would get feedback on what you were doing by navigating through specific menus and sometimes you'd completely miss some things because you'd have to click on a certain thing and with the new one obviously we've we've really tried to update it so there's better feedback on your turn you can see it play out as it's happening rather than kind of waiting for you know a novel that'll come to you by email and you've just got to read through it and work out what's happened. I think that that spirit of the, you do have to pay attention to the little details is still there though. Um, and, and one of the challenges of, of modernizing this game is how do you make this game more approachable without lo- losing the spirit of the game, which is, you know, there's a lot of like things involved. Um, and I think that the team have spent 
probably the majority of their time in working out, okay, we've got to modernize the UI. We've got to make it so that it's able to be kind of understood and, and easily passed, but not too easily. You've still got to have like that, that challenge. You've still got to have that, you know, what am I going to do next? I'm, I'm not quite sure about it. Um, and it's really interesting to watch them at work and, and the conversations that they have. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm definitely one of the people that's sitting in the corner going, what are you even talking about? This is crazy. <laughs> There's so many levels of depth here that they're going into. Like the game design team in particular, you know, I'll, I'll look through Confluence documentation. It's just novels <laughs> and it's amazing. But yeah, it's it's really interesting. Does this really feel like, um, you know, the, the split between these two games, um, you know, you've got this very sort of seemingly pretty complex uh, hardcore strategy game and then a much more approachable one. Is that sort of the intention behind uh, the two sort of, two sort of tacks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, both projects were put forward from a, this is, this is something that I love and adore and, and want to create. So from, from Blake's perspective, it was, I want to make this, you know, really like dollhouse vibey game that is inspired by the, you know, seventies anime and, you know, has like that naval building itch, scratching situation um and and ty was you know as i said earlier he was he loved solium infernum and it's kind of his dream game to make but at the end of the day um the founders kind of made the decision on on both of the games based on the fact that they they were very different games so they weren't going to cannibalize each other but at their core they're very similar um you know at their core they're still strategy games at their core they still use a lot of the, the the bits and pieces that the team have learned over time. Um, and it's it's honestly a bit genius to be honest. Like when I first came in, I was like, how are we going to do this? I've worked, I've worked for a company that's done, you know, seven games in a year and all of those games cannibalized each other. Um, and it was it was a nightmare from a publishing perspective to kind of navigate how you how you get both games out to market. Um, but with these games, it's it's pretty simple because I think, um, you know, both of them have a core audience that are looking for a very particular thing. But at the same time, both games, we hope, will have a wider audience of, of people that may not necessarily play that kind of game all the time. Um, and that's definitely the hope that we can, we can learn from each game uh, without cannibalizing each one. Has the team been kind of encouraged or, or buoyed by the fact that games like Dwarf Fortress, which again was one of these impenetrable but cult games um, that has managed to continue on, you know, does that give you a bit of hope that Solium could do something similar? Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's interesting you, you mentioned Dwarf Fortress and, and games like Evil Genius and FTL and all those sorts of games because a lot of, a lot of the team take you know, great inspiration from those games. You know, they play them, they dissect them, they analyze them, they spend ages kind of talking to each other about, you know, what mechanic works and why. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's definitely the case. And I think with a game like Solium Infernum, um, a lot of it is going to be based on people bringing their friends in. Um, you know, I've, I've said in the past that, you know, the idea of games like Werewolf or even Among Us, like games like that where... You know, the idea is the the betrayal and the the thinking about the manipulation between people is really at the core of this game. It's just a lot more detail. There's a lot more complexity involved. So I really do see people bringing their friends into this game, almost like a board game night, you know. Um, and I think that that's 
something that makes the team excited as well is when they're themselves playing the game and experiencing that phenomenon. So yeah, it's, it's cool. Uh, we know what your strategy is like in jump light, but what are you like in solium? <laughs> are you, uh, what's your you know maniacal uh, methods of taking over hell? So there is um, without without spoiling it, but I'm uh, you know in the original solium infernum, there's there's a kingmaker um, a, a kingmaker way of playing where you kind of go in and you pretend to be something, um, trying to be as vague as possible. You pre- you kind of pretend to be one thing and then it, it you kind of finish the game and it looks like you've lost and then all of a sudden you've actually won and you kind of like take off your mask and like, ha-ha, I, I did this. Um, as long as I can kind of get my head around the the controls and, and make sure that I'm actually doing all the right steps because that's the, the, the problem is you kind of got to think like eight steps ahead. But as long as I can do that, that's the kind of way that I like to play. I'm definitely that person on board game night who no one suspects and yet I always come out on top. I feel like they should should work it out by now, but that's fine. <laughs> it's all it's good for me, you know. <laughs> Just slowly collecting coins in the corner, no one's paying attention. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> no when... one suspects the butterfly. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Um, when can people get their hands on Solium? Um, what, when will that be in a sort of stage where it will be able to be played? Yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're still being intentionally vague about it, but we have just announced that we're going to be starting playtesting very soon. Um, so for anyone that's interested in playtesting, um, the best way to kind of get involved with it is to join the League of Geeks Discord. Um, and, you know, you should be able to look at it from, from all the social medias, hopefully, if I've done my job. Um, but, yeah, if it, and at some point we'll be, we'll be playtesting and then opening it up to the broader public um, and launching it, which is very exciting. Um, if you want to find out more information, of course, you can go to leagueofgeeks.com uh, uh, where you'll see both the links to those games and, of course, uh, social media and everything on there. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining us and telling us a little bit about these two very exciting games uh, that are in our future. Thank you so much. Join the Sifter community on Discord at sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. Sifter is produced by Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, Adam Christou. Mitch Lowe is our senior producer, and my name is Gianni DiGiovanni, and I'm the executive producer. Thanks to Omni Studio and Audio Technica Australia for their support of Sifter's podcasts. You can find links to everything we talked about on our website, which is sifter.com. Uh, we can read more about the games and the guests that we've featured. And if you'd like to support the show, you can head to sifter.com.au forward slash support. We've got a Ko-Fi. You can chuck in a few bucks if it's uh, if you enjoy what we do. And that address again is sifter.com.au forward slash support. That's all for this time. Until next time, have fun. Hi, Chris Button here from Drop Rate, Sifter's video game review podcast. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is finally here, continuing the ambitious reimagining of a beloved classic. It's very, very funny. I guess like that's that's part of the silliness, you know. Like you have this these really big world-ending stakes. You know, Sephiroth is a really terrifying villain. You know, the world's ending, and I think to have a game that is still fun and pleasant to play, I think maybe the tone is kind of. It's important to strike both tones because you need that levity so that it's not constantly depressing, you know. And I think so having the characters have that humour and like having the mini games and having it be a little bit lighter hearted, I think does give you that hope. Does it uphold the legacy of the famous original or burn Midgar to ashes to forge its own path? Find out on Drop Rate, available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever you listen to podcasts.